In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angel spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last for ever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Thank you very much, Georgie, for reading. Good evening, everyone. It's very nice to see you all here. Please, it will be helpful to you if you keep the Bible open there on page 1201. And I'm going to pray for God's help as we consider this word. Lord Jesus, you know each one of us intimately. And you know exactly where we are, where we are with you. And so we pray this evening that you would be at work in each one of us here. So that we would see more clearly something of your majesty. This we pray for your glory. Amen. Well, I wonder whether you've ever had the experience of having something you were really into, something you really enjoyed, something you were especially committed to, and then you drifted away from it. I think we all do that. Maybe it was some sport that you used to play a lot and you practiced at and you were really good at, and it's just sort of drifted away. Maybe it's some craft hobby cross-stitch, I don't know, you're going to make all sorts of wonderful creations and, and you used to do it a lot and it's just drifted, you don't do it so much anymore. Maybe there's some music artist that you used to just listen to all the time and you thought you would for the rest of your life and, and then you just drifted from that. Maybe it's something like being a vegetarian. 
I'll never eat meat again. And then someone cooked bacon. We all do this, don't we? We get into something and then we, we drift from it. Often something else comes along and it gets our attention. It's novel. There's something new about it and attractive. What about Christianity? What about Jesus? Well, it's possible to drift there too. We started thinking about that last week when we looked at the first four verses that we've just had read. We're going to look at the rest of the chapter tonight. We started thinking about reasons we might drift from Jesus. And we asked the question, how do people come to drift from Jesus when at one time they seemed so captivated by him? And and when it's Jesus we're talking about, not just some hobby or um, some sort of sport, when it's the king of the universe, captivated by him, how is it that people come to drift? Because it does seem to happen. People who were once really living for Jesus And then they drifted away. And of course, we want to ask the question, if we're Christians, could it ever happen to me? You should be thinking, I don't want that to ever happen. But it does seem to happen to people. So could it ever happen to me? Well, this is what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's for people who might have drifted, people who are on the edge, or those who aren't drifting, but just want to make sure that they never do. And the strategy of the book is is really simple. It's just keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And the book just keeps reminding us again and again how exalted and magnificent he is. There is no one like him. No one reveals God to us like him. No one else can make you clean before God like he does. No being in the universe is more exalted or mighty or righteous or constant or trustworthy or victorious than he is. So says Hebrews, you keep your eyes focused on him and you won't drift. That's what our passage is doing tonight. Verses 5 to 14, it says quite simply, Jesus is more exalted than any other being in the universe. More exalted. And he's in a league of his own, a category of his own. There is no one like him, not even close. So you keep your eyes on him. Make sure he is exalted in your life. It's that simple. Because he is exalted more than any other being. And specifically, in this passage, even more than angels. At which point, as I mentioned angels, I reckon people fall into one of two categories. Either those who say, ah, no one is interested in angels. Please just don't talk about angels. Or those who say, wow, angels. So you go into some bookshops and Sometimes you see there are more books about angels than there are about Christianity. Probably, though, with a non-biblical view of angels. The Bible is very clear that there are such beings as angels. They're God's messengers. That's what the word means. Angel means messenger. Like Gabriel came with a rather surprising message for Mary. 
and they were generally frightening. In the Bible, you see people's first reactions to angels is often to be scared. They were even sometimes warriors fighting for God's people. And other times they were involved in God's revelation. So somehow involved in the giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. That's significant here because we saw last week that Hebrews wants to emphasize that though God spoke in the past in many times in many ways, he has never spoken to us like he has in Jesus. And in fact, Jesus makes all of those past revelations of God even better. They make more sense now that you see them fulfilled in him. So this passage we've just read would be a clear answer to anyone who might have thought, yes, God's revelation in Jesus is is pretty good, but it's not more important than what he spoke to Moses through the angels, is it? Or to anyone who would say, yeah, Jesus is clearly interesting and important. But, you know, if an angel turned up one day, that would be really something. If that happened, you'd pay loads of attention to that, wouldn't you? Which, obviously, some people do think that way. That's why there's so many books about them. And hundreds of years after Jesus, a man claimed to have revelations from an angel. Revelations which gradually denied Jesus' status and his work. That man was called Muhammad, and you have Islam. The point is, says Hebrews, you need to get this clear in your mind. There is no being in the universe more exalted than Jesus. Angels are one thing, but Jesus is quite another. And then he gives us seven quotations from the Old Testament, which emphasizes there's been no break from the past, rather there's been a fulfillment, a culmination. It turns out that the Old Testament is also there to exalt Jesus. So get a load of this, says Hebrews. Get your sights focused on the things here that I'm about to tell you, and then you will not drift. So he gives us seven quotations to see that Jesus is more exalted than any other being, even these angels. He's in a league of his own. So we're just going to work through them. Number one, this is from Psalm 2, which we had read. Psalm 2 is all about an earthly king of God's people in the line of David. But it becomes pretty clear when you look at Psalm 2 that it's never going to be fulfilled by any ordinary human being Because the king is installed and God says, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Okay, so that's the first thing. Jesus is the son of God. That is a name much superior to the angels. Ah, hello, what's your name? Messenger. Messenger, that's a nice name. Messenger of God, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your name? Son of God. Okay, superior. The name of the Son of God to the angels. It's also the second quotation there, which comes from the promises of a forever king that God made to David, recorded in 2 Samuel. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Do you realize that no being in the universe will ever have a name superior to his? He's the Son. 
He's the first. Everything is for him. He will inherit it all. The reason you're here is for him. Do you realize that? And if you say that you do, does your life show that you realize that? Third quotation. This one comes from the Song of Moses at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, where in the song it's celebrating God's defeat of his enemies and the vindication of his people. And it's interesting just to note how the author is reading that and applying it directly to Jesus. I often think this must have been a tremendously exciting time, just after Jesus had died and risen, ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit had come, and you've got these early Christians going back over the Old Testament, and they're starting to see Jesus everywhere, even at the end of Deuteronomy, where it says in the Greek translation, let all God's angels worship him. And our author reads that and, and says that's about Jesus. And you see, this isn't just a matter of rank, that the angels are pretty high up, but Jesus is just a bit higher. They worship him. They fall down before him. They sing his praises. They do his bidding. It's a simple question we can ask ourselves. Do we worship Jesus? Which is not to ask, do you perfectly obey him and love him in everything you do? Because we're all sinners and we know that none of us do that perfectly. But it's to ask, is he the one you don't adore as you should, but oh, you wish you would? Is that the core desire of your heart? To be for him, that your identity would be located in him. And the purpose and meaning of your life would all be about him. Because merely to find his teaching interesting or to consider him a good example is not the same thing as worshipping him. Do you worship Jesus? That's the category he's in, to be worshipped, which is, of course, the category which only God is in. Which moves us into quotations four and five. Number four this is from Psalm 104, and it's, it's a description of the angels. Makes it clear that they are servants. He makes his angel spirits and his servants flames of fire. Contrast the sun. As you go into the next quotation, which comes from Psalm 45. And it's a really interesting one, because up until this point in history, Psalm 45 must have been a real headache to understand. Because it's a, it's a psalm for the royal wedding of a king, again in the line of David. But it appears to call the king God, which is a bit of a puzzle. Other cultures might have done that. The Jewish culture never would have done. So how do you understand that? Well, that was always a question. Until this point, when the author of the Hebrews reads Psalm 45 and says, Ah, oh, it was about Jesus. That makes sense now where it says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. It's addressing Jesus, the King, God. He is God. The angels are servants. He is God. Did you know that? Did you know that's the claim, at least, that Jesus is God? Do you believe that? Does your life demonstrate 
that you believe that. Because when your life stops demonstrating that, when you stop seeking to listen to his word, when you stop meeting with his people, when you're not that bothered about obeying what he says, when you just simply get wrapped up in other things, that's drifting. Of course you're going to drift from Jesus if you take your sights off the fact that he is God. And he rules forever. The psalm goes on, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And he rules perfectly. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Does your life show that you honestly believe that Jesus' ways are best? Even the ones you don't understand why they are better. And that you're seeking to learn from him rather than seeking to tell him a thing or two. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy, it goes on. Jesus, God the Son, is exalted by God the Father. And the Father, God the Father, delights in him. So we ask, do I delight in him? You don't give up joy to become a Christian. You don't set aside pleasure. The joy and pleasure that we have in Jesus is itself exalted above all other things we would call joy and pleasure. Does your life show that? Quotation number six. This is from Psalm 102. If you read that, you'll see the writer there is in distress and he calls out to God. And at the end of the psalm where this quote comes from, he takes comfort, not just from God's eternal years, but from his unchanging nature, which means he's constant and faithful and steadfast and true things remain true. And again, our writer reads that and he thinks, this is about Jesus. He'll go on later on in the book to say Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Here he quotes this psalm. In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. Here is your cosmological constant. He made all things. So it says, he will wrap all things up at the end of this age, but he remains the same. Which again puts him in a category of his own. And this is such wonderful good news. Get this in your sights. He remains the same. He will never let you down. He's never going to retire. His beauty will never fade. His glory days aren't a thing of the past. His glory days are past, present, and future. Whatever you're working for, or investing in, or looking to, nothing is solid and dependable 
like him. Do you believe that? Does your life show that you believe that? That he's the dependable one? And then quotation seven. This is from Psalm 110. Did God ever say this to an angel? No. He says it to Jesus, crucified for our sins, risen from the dead, and ascended into heaven in glory. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He is exalted to the highest place, and all the angels are worshipping him in heaven, and he's sitting down because his work to save us by dying for our sins is finished. And all that's left to wait for is the last day when all his enemies will be defeated and shown to be defeated once and for all. Do you believe that? Does your life show that there is no other way to God other than through Jesus? That everything that needs to be done so that you can be right with God has been done by him? Or are you still trying to sort that one out for yourself? Does your life show that you have found him to be your saviour? And you are so grateful for that. Does your life show that you have found him to be your delight? And that you are just eagerly awaiting for that day when all his enemies will be made his footstool and you will be there singing and living before him your greatest alleluias. Do you believe it? Ah, but I'm weak, you might say. I do believe all this, but I'm feeble, I'm frail, and maybe I won't last a distance. I don't want to drift, but maybe I will because I'm just tired. Well, that's not going to happen. Because you know what? These angels we've been talking about, he sends them to help us. That's what it says there at the end. Isn't this amazing? This is one of the ways they worship Jesus. Verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? That's us for trusting in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Now, there are all sorts of stories that give hints or even just solid examples of how this has happened. There are stories in the Bible. There are stories you hear from other Christians. You may know of some. You may have your own example. I don't know. But even if we never have our own story of when we saw an angel or thought we saw an angel who might have helped us in some visible, tangible way, I rather suspect that unseen help has been there for each of us throughout our journeys. And maybe left unseen, just to make sure that we don't take our focus off him. It's a simple message this evening. He is exalted. He's in a separate category, like no other. And also like no other because... You don't get bored when you keep your focus on him. You just focus on something else too much. You, you maybe get bored of it. You don't get bored if you keep your focus 
on the Lord Jesus. You can't drift through boredom. The potential to be delighted in Jesus is limitless. It doesn't diminish with time. It can get better and better and better if you keep your focus on him. Now, will you do that? Or will you drift? Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, please open our eyes to your glory. Keep them open. Keep them focused on you. We pray this in your name. Amen.